First, I want to think about the idea that this week, millions of people all over the world looked back on the last 12 months of their lives. Not because these people are all that nostalgic or are really all that um, reflective, but because they are part of a little social networking website called Facebook. And if you've seen the status posts that people have been putting out, you know that Facebook has put together a little album for you. If you're on the social networking website, they've taken pictures that you've uploaded and just based on what they think made, made your year, they put those up. How many of you guys have seen these on Facebook? Yeah. So for me, I know all Facebook did was take the posts that had the most engagement, so people clicking like on it or writing a bunch of comments on it, and putting that together, you know? And for me, it said, I think, you know, for everybody really, it just populated the status with, it's been a great year, thanks for being part of it. But again, all it did was pull my pics from most likes, most comments, and I was like, how does Facebook know it's been a great year for me? <laughs> I mean, some of it was good, honestly, um, but some of it, really, what, it, what got the most engagement was not the mundane things you put up, not even the really awesome things you put up, but all the tragedies that happen where they're like, oh my gosh, we're really praying for you, you know, and people are commenting and, and writing things on there. I have pictures of Josiah at Children's Hospital. We were there for three days, and some of you knew about that, and Pastor Jeremiah came to visit us. Pictures of our trip to the Philippines, where we had to make an emergency trip out there to see my dad, who's uh, still battling lymphoma. He's just finished his fifth round of chemo. And I actually got to go out of the house after five months or something and go see his brothers for Christmas. That was a big milestone for him. But don't get me wrong, God has definitely been good to us through the trials, through the storms of life, I'm just saying that the last 12 months for me hasn't been all rosy, and probably for you too. I mean, if you're like me, you can look back on the last 12 months, you can look back on the last 12 years and see that life hasn't been all rosy. It's not been a great year every year, you know? There's, there's sorrow, but there's also joy. There's bitterness mixed in with sweetness. Um, can you even think that far back? Wow, 12 years. Has it been that long about 2002? Wow. I remember 2002, Christine and I joined a missionary organization called the Baptist General Conference, which is now Converge Worldwide. And we spent a couple of years traveling all around the country, raising support for what we thought would be a lifetime of ministry in the Philippines. And this is what we wanted to do with our whole lives since we got married. Uh, but Christine had some serious struggles with illness while we were there. We had a number of different issues come up. And long story short, two years later, after we got to the field, we came back to Southern California, called it quits, took a plane back home. And while we were overseas, the church that we were a part of, that we helped build, really, um, closed down. So we came back to no church, we came back to no jobs, we came back to no direction, no clue what was next. And it was like, okay, now what, God? Honestly, that now what God experience has been kind of the running theme of our lives over the past 12 years. Um, I wonder if you've had a now what God experience. Probably each of us have had something like that at least once in our lives. You know what I'm talking about? You're going through the Christian life, you think that you are living a life of sacrifice, you're being obedient to God, um, and then bam, you find yourself in a really bad spot. Sometimes because you stepped out in faith. Sometimes because you went to the mission field. Sometimes because you did these things that you hear in church like, wow, I've never been you know, closer to God until I did these things. Well, you did these things. And um, maybe you were close to God during part of it. Um, maybe part of it you couldn't even feel if he was there. But maybe some tragedy happened in your life 
as a result of you following God through whatever he's called you to do. But you want to know something? I believe that God has something for you in that tough spot. God has something for you that he wants you to discover, even in these, these difficult storms of life. Sometimes it's just little chances to do a little bit of good for the kingdom of God in the midst of a personal storm. And I wonder how many of us miss those things sometimes because we're not looking for them, because we're not, we're not attuned to these things. I think God wants us to be on the lookout for them so that we can be obedient to him, so we can be faithful to him wherever life takes us, whatever life throws at us. If we can be faithful to God, uh, in my book, that's success. Uh, I came to think after a while, you know, what, what's my goal in life? If there's one thing I can control in life, I think, it's that whatever life throws at me, can I be faithful to God in this situation? And that's kind of what I hope to be able to say at the end of my life. So over the next half an hour, we're going to take a look at how to face the now what God experiences that, that come up in our lives maybe over the past 12 months, the past 12 years. We know these things are coming again, right, in 2015 and beyond. So how are we going to respond? I've entitled this message, Wherever You Are, Discovering the Hidden Opportunities to Honor God. So this morning, we're going to see what that actually looks like to, uh, to do in our lives by looking at a couple sections of scripture written by the Apostle Paul while he was in a pretty tough spot, when he was in some pretty bad circumstances. We'll look at a passage in Colossians and one in Ephesians. So let's start with the passage in Colossians. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me to Colossians 4. 2 through 6 is the passage that, that you've seen read for us. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. We'll read the passage together and then we'll pray for the word. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And I'm reading out of the ESV. Paul writes this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray for the word. Lord, would you please open up our eyes to the truth that you have for us today. God, I pray that you would give us open minds, give us open hearts as we hear the message from your word, as we look into it together. I pray that you would help us to see these opportunities that you've placed in our midst, God, to honor you and help us to do something about it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the now what God experience, right? If you've been a Christian for a little while, you probably had one of these now what God experiences. If we look in the Bible, we see that Paul actually had a bunch of these now what God experiences, and he's got a whole series of letters that he wrote from one of the worst places that you could possibly be, which is a Roman prison. Paul's writing to the Christians in Colossae, which is part of what Romans called the, the province of Asia. Okay, the province of Asia is not like Japan or the Philippines. This is modern-day Turkey, okay, so that's where we're at. If you've seen the Disney movie Cars, you know the original one with the red lightning queen? This is one of these radiator springs kind of towns. I think in one scene of the movie, um, the truck calls it radiation stinks. Because it's like, they were a big deal back in the day before Route 66 came through and cut everything off and then, you know, their economy kind of tanked after that. Well, same thing with this area. They used to be a big deal when they were right on the trade route, but then after a bigger and better road was built just a few miles down, uh, their economy began to go south. So 
He's writing for two reasons. One, to shut down a bunch of false teaching that had crept into the church. And two, to teach them how to live as Christians in this place. They're minorities. They're persecuted. The economy's tanking. Things are not looking good. How do you live as a Christian in this place? Here are some things he told them to do. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Okay, so there's prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. There's this thanksgiving component that's wrapped into that. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. This letter also has Timothy's name on it, but I want us to just key in for a minute on Paul. Think about Paul as the backstory to the guy who's writing this. Paul lost an awful lot in life as a result of following Jesus, yeah? You know, sometimes I said you step out into faith and then you encounter some tough times because you stepped out into faith. It's not like you're the prodigal son who wandered away and started living a crazy lifestyle and, you know, a bunch of bad stuff came down on you because of the results of sin. In this case, he became a Christian, he followed Jesus, and then his life started to get worse. You know, beforehand, he was a Pharisee, he was the man, everybody thought he was someone to look up to. But he lost his job, he gave that up to become a Christian missionary, one of the greatest missionaries ever. But in doing so, he lost his social status. He was no longer the man. He fell out of favor with these Jewish leaders. He lost his social status. Uh, he was totally respected in Jewish society before. He studied under Gamaliel, a very prestigious rabbi. And as a Roman citizen, too, he had certain rights, right? But we find out that he was flogged without a trial in Acts 16. And that shouldn't happen to Roman citizens. Finally, he even lost his freedom. As we mentioned earlier, he's writing this from a Roman prison. He's chained up to a guard who's probably not treating him very well. And he's waiting his very possible execution. And all this because he met Jesus, he quit his job, and he poured his whole life into telling the story about what Jesus did for him, who Christ was, who the Messiah was, how a Christian killer, a persecutor of the church, became one of the greatest missionaries, and how God had commissioned him. Jesus had called him to go to the Gentiles. But you know what? He wasn't sad about this. He wasn't like, well, darn, I should have just been a Pharisee where I was all respected in society. If you remember in Philippians 3, 7, and 8, he says, everything that used to be a gain to me, I now put into the lost category. Compared to knowing Jesus, if I could have all that stuff and not have Jesus, that's like a bunch of trash. Because that is all lost compared to the, the gain of knowing Jesus, for whom I've lost all things, right? So he has this perspective in life, and I think it's this perspective that allows him to say what he's saying right here. In the midst of this, another one in a series of trial after trial in the life of this apostle. He's asking the church to pray for what? Good health? Um, you know, if you were writing back to Skillman, you were taken into some kind of uh, communist prison because you were a missionary overseas, would you write? You know, what would you write? Pray that the Lord would bless my escape attempt that's happening tomorrow, <laughs> you know? The guard, he likes to go out and drink, and when he's not really all there, there's a way for me to get his key, whatever. You know, what, what is the stuff that we would ask our friends to pray for? Not this, not the stuff that Paul's writing about, probably, if you're like me. His prayer request is not for good health or a chance to escape from prison. His prayer request is that the, not that he get out of prison, but that the message of God, of the gospel, would get out in the prison. It would get out through whatever circumstances that he was facing. I guess he figured, I really can't go anywhere right now since I'm chained up to this guard and all. But, well, we can certainly preach the gospel here. And that is, in fact, what we're going to do. Because God has commissioned me. Jesus has commissioned me to be a witness to the Gentiles. And that is what I'm going to do. 
So this is what he was praying for, being watchful. He says, be watchful. Being watchful here means to keep your eyes open. It literally means to stay awake. Stay awake, kind of like Jesus told the disciples, can you guys please stay awake and pray? Stay awake, keep your eyes open, be aware of what's going on in your life and what God might be doing through the, the situations that he has you in. You know, what, what is it in your situation that might match up to getting the gospel out? You know, how can your situation be used by God to further the kingdom, to do a little bit of good for the kingdom of God? Being thankful here is all about having a thankful attitude when you pray. What does that do? It gives us perspective, right? It gives us perspective so that these now what God experiences won't steal your joy. You have this perspective. You know who God is, what he's done for you, and you know how he's seen you through in the past. It might be tough now, but you know he's with you, and you know that, that he is using your situation. He can use your situation for good if you let him. So it's like you know how bad things are, but being thankful gives you perspective. What is the stuff that we pray for when we're in a bad spot? Again, it's usually that not that God would open a door for the gospel through our circumstances, but that we'd get out of those bad circumstances. I think we should take a tip from Paul at some times. Uh, consider how our situation, where we're at right now, how God might use that to further the kingdom. How he might use us to do even just a little bit of teensy-weensy good in the midst of a bad situation. Because these things I believe God has set out for us to do, and we need to recognize those things. So here's the thing about Paul's circumstance. He says, bad circumstances are not going to stop me from finding the opportunities that God has set up for me in all of this. He seemed to live for these opportunities, I think, you know, to represent Jesus, to represent the Lord wherever he was, whether he's before kings, whether he's before, you know, people who are sick, anybody. And to advance the kingdom, to find whatever redeeming thing he could in these now what God experiences. But let's get back to Paul's advice to the church. He wants to make the most of his life circumstances, yeah? But what about theirs? It wasn't all rosy on the outside either, right? We, we learned about that. It's not like uh, it was all rosy for them. They were a persecuted church. They were a minority. How did they respond? How should they respond to tough life circumstances? Well, Paul's answer to the tough circumstance, these now what God experiences, is to make the most of every situation. To make the most of every difficult situation by honoring God in the details of life. You know how they like to say the devil's in the details? I once uh, saw a graphic designer's website. We had a sign. He was holding a sign on the street and said, God is in the details. Not like that. I like that. God is in the details. So how can we honor God in the details? How can we honor him in these little things? Because sometimes it's all the opportunity we have to make a difference, to live for Christ in the midst of a personal storm. He tells them to always walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And this is a, uh, an imperative here, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. This is like what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, right, that great apologetics verse, that we're, be, we're to be prepared always to give an answer to anyone who asks us about the hope that we have in Jesus. But we need to do it with gentleness, and we need to do it with respect. And so Paul is the one who is the preacher type, right? He tells them, pray that I should speak like I should, that I should be able to speak the gospel boldly. But to them, he talks about having wisdom as they interact on the outside with everybody, with the very people that they're trying to win to Christ. How do we interact with these people in our everyday lives? 
Remember, they were the minority. They were persecuted. He's not saying, let's make it worse by being jerks. He's not saying, let's be spiritually weird so that everything that comes out of your mouth is some kind of forced biblical illusion or forcing people who don't want to talk about spiritual things to, to go there. He's saying, let's be wise about this. Let's be smart. Let's be gracious. Let's be prepared. Let's just be smart as we go to school, as we go to work, as we interact in the marketplace, as we go to the grocery store, at your kid's soccer game, wherever, as we interact with people every day. Let me tell you about a conversation I had in the Philippines months before this crisis hit, and we had to call it quits pretty abruptly. I was discipling a kid, a Filipino kid, who likes to say he got saved in Sin City, because he went to Las Vegas, ended up playing basketball with some Filipino guys, got connected to a Filipino church out there, and he got saved there. And uh, he was in the Philippines working, and uh, I, I was meeting with him weekly, uh, reading, reading scripture with him, and, and discipling, mentoring him. And he wanted to start this thing where, before work, they would get together, all, all their friends who worked in this office building, and do a Bible study with them. So I thought that was pretty admirable, so I wanted to encourage him. And he's like, Pastor Mikhail, I want to invite you to come, but we won't tell them that you're a pastor. It's like, okay. And the implication is that, you know, because people get freaked out. If you're, you know, like, okay, so you're bringing this, this pastor to me, it's already enough for me to go to a Bible study with you in the building right beforehand, and now you're bringing these clergy people in. So that was kind of the implication. I said, well, okay, what will you tell them that I do? In the Philippines, you don't just say, hi, this is Mikhail, this is my friend. You say, hi, this is so-and-so, he's the president of XYZ Corporation. That's how they introduce people in the city. So what will you say that I do? Uh, well, they'll say, well, we'll say that you're a professor, which I was teaching at the college that Christine and I helped to start in the Philippines. And I said, okay, well, then they'll say, like, what do you teach? And I'll say, I teach the Bible. So I began to think after that conversation, as I walked away from that conversation, maybe, I don't know when, but sometime, perhaps, maybe in 10 years, who knows? Little did I know, it would be like in 10 months. Um, that God might move me into some kind of a non-Christian working environment so that I could have that experience of being that guy who is inviting people to learn about Christ um, in, in a secular, quote-unquote, secular, you know, non-Christian office environment. I'd always worked for Christian schools. I'd always worked for missionary organizations, Christian organizations. And as in the Philippines, I was trying to teach people how to be a good ambassador for Christ at work. I'd read a bunch of books about it, but I had no practical experience in actually doing that. So, okay, we came back to California. I could not find a job until the next school year rolled around. We came back in October. And so for about 10 months, I was feverishly putting out, you know, 10 resumes a day and just going blind on Craigslist. And one day, I found this horrible uh, commission-based telemarketing job, but it's better than nothing, I suppose. And so I took it. And uh, yes, I'm sorry I was that guy for a little bit. Uh, I was making 80 to 120 cold calls a day, which is actually possible, oh my gosh. Uh, but I only hit that quota once. Uh, turns out God had so much mercy on me that five weeks later I got laid off from that position. <laughs> and then the company closed down, so. Uh, but yes, I got hung up on, yes, I got cussed out, but I wasn't calling people during the dinner hour. This is inside sales, so I was calling these gruff auto salesmen trying to uh, offer our services to them. But for the first time, even though I hated this job and actually got honestly depressed doing it, like I used to be preaching the gospel for crying out loud, now I'm making cold calls. Uh, but for the first time, I had a chance to do what I was trying to teach people to do, which is how do you be a light for Christ 
in an office environment that seemingly has nothing to do with being a Christian. I mean, it's inside salespeople, really. <laughs> now, much, much respect to you if you're in that field, because that's a hard thing I could not do. But for the first time, I had a chance to do this, how to be an effective ambassador in a non-Christian environment. That doesn't mean I'm preaching the gospel in between the cold calls. You can't, you know, do anything between. As soon as somebody hangs up on you, you get the next button and call. Call the next guy. But it starts with learning the job. It starts with learning the culture, the corporate culture, very much like a missionary does overseas. And I don't want to say learn the language, although I certainly heard it. Um, but just building up these friendships, building up, you know, the person in the cubicle next to you, just building up a friendship and relationship, actually very similar to... You know, what we were doing in the Philippines in terms of um, getting to know your neighbors and things like that. I know I needed competence in the job, I needed to show care for people, and I needed to have the character that, that bolstered my message and didn't bring it down. So I, they already knew I was a Christian, I don't know how, I didn't say anything, but they weren't inviting me to go drink at night. Um, if they invited me to go to lunch, even though I'm such an overachiever that I don't take lunch, I sit at my desk at work, that way I'm getting ahead while they're having a good time. But uh, okay, I'll go ahead and clock out, and I'll go ahead and go to lunch with these people that I'm not really clicking with, but maybe for the sake of Christ I can build some kind of relationship here. Maybe I'm the only Christian they know. Who knows? So I did that, and I was like, God, again, seriously, I was depressed. I no, no joke. God, I do not know what on earth a Christian telemarketer looks like, but I am going to be one for you today. For me, this was the opportunity, the only opportunity I saw in all this, learning to do what most Christians do in companies every day, what 99% of people sitting in church do every day. They don't work at church, they don't work at Christian organizations, most people. And asking, how can I be a good representative of Jesus in this place? And every day I got out of my car in the parking lot, walk into work, and I said, I asked the Holy Spirit to fill me, and I said, okay, God, this is my mission field now, at least for now. So what should our response be to tough times, to trials, to different uh, difficult circumstances in life? I believe God wants us to pray for wisdom so that we can see these things, to make the most of these hidden opportunities to honor him in the details of life, wherever you are, wherever life takes you. You know, how do we act towards people at school or work as we go about our day? Is the way we talk characterized by the graciousness that should mark a Christian? You know, people who have received so much grace from God, are we like that? Christians should be seasoning our words with salt. That is, we should have an appealing effect. We should have a preserving effect in whatever circumstances. There are two functions of salt in the ancient world that are kind of a background to this metaphor. One, one that we're familiar with, it makes stuff taste good. You know, like you put salt on your popcorn. You don't just eat popcorn by itself unless you're you know, trying to be super healthy about it, in which case you probably shouldn't eat popcorn or use fish oil or something like that. But the Greeks kind of connected this idea with grace as well. So saltiness and, and making stuff taste good kind of got infused with this idea of graciousness. That when you speak, it should sound good, and graciousness sounds a lot better than being a jerk, yeah? So it also carries this idea of being winsome, being uh, interesting, and being tactful. Secondly, it preserves things, like food. Sometimes you can put salt on fish to preserve it. You can even cook fish with salt, yeah? in certain uh, contexts, but so it won't spoil. It means the speech shouldn't be spoiled. It should be wholesome. It shouldn't be corrupted and, and messed up. So bottom line, our words should be gracious, wholesome, and appealing. So ask yourself, are we answering 
people's questions by sharing good reasons for what we believe, but with gentleness and with respect, in such a way that draws people to Christ and doesn't undermine our message. The Apostle Paul knew that truth matters, but he also knew that tone matters as well. The same Paul who wrote Romans 1, where he had this bold-faced condemnation of sin, he also gave the famous Mars Hill speech in Acts 17, where he had a hand extended to talk to people who were interested in religious things about religion. He said, hey, I noticed you guys are really religious. You have a bunch of images and icons out here, and let's talk about that. So he extended a hand, but in that, in that extended hand, he had a challenge wrapped up as well. Think about how you would act if you were serving as a missionary in a foreign country. Why would it be different here? Because quite honestly, getting on a plane does nothing to you. Getting on a plane for 13 hours, well, it makes you really tired. But by the time you get overseas, you know, you can put on a show for a couple weeks, I think, maybe a month, maybe even a summer. But eventually, you're the same guy, you're the same man or woman that you are here at home. Your prayer life will probably be the same. The way that you engage with people will probably be the same. And despite what some people experience going on short-term trips where someone hands you a puppet and says, look, here's 300 kids, do a puppet show. Um, it's mundane. It really is. It's like, okay, I have to buy a refrigerator. It takes me all day to do that. You know? I have to go get, get the car fixed, and it takes me all day to do that, too. Sometimes it's, it's mundane, and it's boring, and it's, it's hard work, and sometimes you don't even see any fruit from it. Are you going to persevere? Are you going to keep going? Um, God's got something for you, even in those those mundane and, and difficult circumstances. So as we go about our lives here, how would we act if we were on assignment overseas? Because we're on assignment here, yeah? The truth is, getting on a plane doesn't change the kind of person you are. God has you right here, right now, for a reason. Take a quick look at this parallel passage in, in Ephesians 5, where Paul also wrote, to look carefully then, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. What does it mean to live wisely here? According to Paul, it's to make the most of every opportunity. To make the most of every opportunity. And this, this verb here means to redeem or to buy back. It has this connotation of redeeming the time. It's actually an Old Testament connotation of like how Boaz and Ruth, Boaz redeemed Ruth, that kind of thing. That's all wrapped up in this word. And so... Both, by the way, just as an aside, Boaz and Ruth are both Christ types in the book of Ruth. Uh, Boaz giving out of his plenty and his, his position of influence, and then Ruth's self-sacrificial love is her, is her big role in that book. But when you see these opportunities, redeem them, buy them up. It's kind of like Monopoly. When you pass Marvin Gardens or Park Place, you don't just be like, oh, Park Place, I don't, I don't really want that. No, you should buy Park Place. I was a horrible Monopoly player when I first started because this lady right here is awesome at Monopoly, Christine is. She played it all summer long in high school. When I was new at Monopoly, I thought, well, my parents always taught me to be frugal. If I just keep spending my money, eventually I will have no money, and, every, and then I'll be poor. But it sounds like Park Place, that's okay. It's kind of expensive. I don't really need that. And then she is buying every single thing she lands on, and eventually she gets a Monopoly and I lose the game. So in life, life is kind of like monopoly in this regard. Paul is saying, buy these things up. Don't let that opportunity pass you by. Buy it up. God has placed these things in your path for a reason. So don't sit around and let that opportunity pass. Let's make the most of our time. Let's not waste opportunities, even in troubled times, in evil times, in the bad times of life. So what is the answer then to the now what God experience? It is making the most of any 
and every opportunity to honor God in the details of life, in every situation that we find ourselves. I really don't know if Facebook is going to do the whole album thing again next year, but my prayer is that next December, when we're on the other side of 2015, that we can look back on the last 12 months, the 12 months that are to come, and say that we've been able to make the most of every opportunity by looking deep and hard into the opportunities that God has placed in our circumstances. To honor Him, to be faithful to Him, wherever you are, wherever life takes you. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the example that you've given us in the Apostle Paul. A man who gave up so much for you, who kept his eyes open for, for the opportunities to represent you, even in the midst of these, these bad circumstances, these now what God experiences in his life. The experiences that he faced in life, and even as he awaited his death. God, I pray that right now you'll show us what you are doing in our lives. Whether we're going through one of these now what God experiences right now, whether we're coming off the heels of one, or if we're about to go, in, go into another one of these in, in 2015, Lord. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to see the special opportunities that we have to honor you, even in the bad times, even if that just means doing a little bit of good in the little things and the details of life. Lord, it's our prayer that we may represent you well. In the name of Jesus, amen. Mm -hmm.